welcome to the Faceoffs and Fantasy Podcast. Here with your two co-hosts, Sean and Marcus. Welcome back for episode four. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Today we're going to talk about some new contracts that were signed. We are going to jump into a little bit of an update on the Eichel situation. Talk about a few players that may be on the trading block that would potentially get traded mid-season. And we are also going to discuss the breakdown of the three Leaf games that happened this week. So we're going to talk a little bit about those. And then in the second half of our podcast, we're going to give you some quick updates on who we thought were some players of the week and maybe some players that you might want to consider streaming, a.k.a. picking up for your team. So that's what we have in store for today. Marks, you want to say hello? Hello. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I'm just hello. kidding. Hey, Sean, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, Sunday night here. So all the games are done for the week. And when I say the week, I'm talking about both the actual week and also the fantasy week. I'm doing good, though. Had a nice weekend. Hung out with the family. What about yourself? I had a pretty good weekend myself. Went and saw some friends in Sarnia and, you know, just watched the Leafs game and the Calgary Edmonton game in a hot tub. So that was pretty sweet. Nice. Sarnia sting. Yeah. I think that's, that's yeah, no, the it's uh, team sting. out that way, right? Sting. Yeah, I think Sarnia Steven Stamkos. Nice. Is an ex Sarnia Sting? Uh, uh, nope. Yeah, I'm not yeah. too sure to be honest. Yeah. Nobody else that comes to mind right I'll now. I'll take your word. <laughs> no, it's. I'll take I'm your pretty word sure Stamkos sure. is ex Sting or cool. former. I'm I'm jealous. I went to bed. I did not watch the Battle of Alberta, but that would have been sweet. Battle of Alberta is always a fun time, especially this year. I would think because there's less games between those two teams since it is not a Canadian division anymore. It was very intense. Lots of penalties. You know, they're throwing their body out there. There's a fight. Or at least Cassian was really starting some stuff with people. Got gotten uh, like Rasmus Anderson's face. It was really entertaining. <laughs> there was a headbutt too, yeah, wasn't there? There was. There was. Was it I think Anderson? Rasmus Anderson? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got fined. And then did you see his fight against Darnell Nurse? No, I I did not see that. It's probably on. I just I, again, I, saw... I was you know occupied in the hot tub, <laughs> a little busy. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> I believe after that, what happened was Darnell Nurse went up to Anderson, and then they didn't really fight at the beginning. But then Nurse kind of gave him a little tap on the helmet, and then Anderson kind of tried to punch him, and then they dropped the gloves, and Nurse just fed him. Yeah. Just okay. haymakers, just pounding him. You could just tell Anderson was waiting for the fight to be over or for the, <laughs> the refs or the linesmen to step in. It was not a good time for him. True. But, yeah, Darnell Nurse is a tough son of a gun, so yeah, that's not overly surprising. hits last week or this past week. Crazy. Battle of Alberta. Makes sense. That's where all those hits are coming from. Let's jump into some contracts, then. There was quite a few contracts signed, actually. A couple of the ones we want to talk about to start out are some young players, 22 years old. So we're looking at some Canadian teams here. We have the Montreal Canadiens signed Nick Suzuki, $7.85 million as the average annual value. So that is the amount off the cap hit for eight years, 7.85 over eight years, 22 years old. Center, young, they just lost Deneau, they just lost uh, KK Kakanyemi to the offer sheet over in Carolina. So they're down two centers, and they were not going to waste time with this one. In terms of his stats and things like that, he's obviously a developing player. Like, 
I wouldn't say he's a superstar quite yet, but he certainly has shown enough promise to establish himself as a legitimate threat in the NHL. I think that when you take a look at the trade, you take a look at Suzuki heading over to Montreal, and you take a look at Pacioretty heading over to Vegas. I kind of see this as a win-win situation. You know, Vegas wanted Pacioretty. They wanted somebody in their prime to be able to make those deep playoff pushes. And Suzuki was more of kind of an up-and-comer. And in particular, Montreal has kind of been in desperate need of at the center position for quite a few years now. So it seemed like a good trade. It seems like this was something they had to do. They didn't want to lose any more centers. I already mentioned Deneau and Kakanyemi were gone. They like Suzuki. Suzuki likes Montreal. His points have been reasonable. Like he scored 41 points in 2019-2020. And then he had 41 points again in 2020-2021. So last year. But the biggest difference here is in 2019-2020, he scored 41 points in 71 games. Whereas last year it was 41 points in 56 games. So in terms of the games there, it dropped like, almost 15 less games roughly. So that was a significant difference in terms of putting up the same point uh, totals. And the biggest thing here to talk about when it comes to Nick Suzuki is playoff performer. He lives for the big moments. He lives for the big stage. Because if you take a look at his stats over the last couple playoffs, 2019 and 20, 2020 and 2021, he put up seven points in 10 games two years ago, and he put up 16 points in 22 games last year for the cup run for Montreal all the way to the finals. So this dude balls out. This dude is really strong when it comes to competition in the playoffs. He showed that he's definitely capable. He's increasing his production and assuming he ends up establishing himself as a legitimate like point per game center in the NHL, this contract is going to look good over the eight-year term. What are your thoughts, Marcus? I totally agree with you. Uh, he destroyed us. Well, not destroyed us, but he did very well in the playoffs, and I think that is probably a big reason why he's getting this much money this early. It looks like, you know, gone are the days of that bridge contract for those kind of superstar or 2B superstar players because right after his entry level, he's already getting this $7.85 million per season deal. So that's a lot of money for a young kid, but kudos to him. I think he's he earned it through his playoff performance slash play over the past two seasons. So I think it just shows that he'll hope to continue that success in the regular season. Oh, for sure. And just out of curiosity, you're talking about the elimination, or at least the fact that it's dwindling now, the bridge deals. When did that start? Was it Mr. PK? Leafs fan? Are you saying it's PK? No, because PK got the bridge deal. He got the short-term deal before he signed that meal ticket. Mm -hmm. What I'm suggesting is the bridge contract started to go away after... Oh, after Matthews and Marner, yes. yes. And Austin Matthews signed their massive deals. Like most guys, after Marner's and Matthews kind of set the market, that has certainly been the trend, which... That's why at the time, Leaf fans were a little overwhelmed. Well, I guess Nylander started it because he was a season before them. Yeah, Nylander signed a six-year deal as well. So he certainly kind of set the tone a little. But, I mean, Nylander signed for less than 7 mil, probably 6.75 roughly. Uh, But when we're talking about Marner and we're talking about Matthews, we're talking north of $10 million. So that is some significant change, significant difference. But like you said, you're starting to see the elimination of those bridge contracts. And I really do think that 
the Toronto Maple Leafs and Kyle Dubas in particular, since he's the one who signed all those contracts with Nylander, Matthews, and Marner. He certainly got the ball rolling, and the rest of the league is now catching up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there is also, you can make an argument for Edmonton because they did the dry sidle deal and McDavid, but McDavid is on a whole nother level. That is very true. That is very true. I guess they would have signed before the Toronto Maple Leaf players, right? I think so. Yeah. Because uh, dry yeah, good was point. already signed before Nylander. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, most definitely. That definitely could have been the start of that there. And I remember at the time, when they signed that deal in Edmonton, people were a, a little worried. Yeah. They're like, wow, that's that's a high number for that player. And then like two years into the deal, they're like, oh my God, what a steal. <laughs> it's very true. I remember when we were having the Nylander contract situation. And I remember talking to my cousin because he's a big Edmonton fan. He was saying, oh, Nylander this, Nylander that. And I was like, yeah, but look at you signed Drysaddle for $8.5 million, and then he goes around and wins like the Hart Trophy. So I quickly <laughs> <Yeah>. stopped talking. <laughs> Just rubbed it back in your face a little bit. Oh, sorry. His Yeah, his cap hit is $8.5 million. His contract started the 27-2018 season. That's a steal. Like Suzuki at 7.85. I I would rather have Drysaddle at 8.5. But then again, the deals were signed significantly, like you said, 17, 18 is when it kicked in. So they probably signed 16, 17. We're talking five years ago, right? So yeah, that's a significant difference in time. But the nice news for Montreal is he's 22 years old. He's young. He likes to be there. They traded for him. He's, by all accounts, certainly a playoff performer and hopefully continues to be that way. Although with the start that they've had in Montreal and Price being on the shelf for as long as he will be, I think uh, playoffs is going to be a hard one to convince the fan base about. So we'll see how that goes. Okay, next contract we wanted to talk about was very close to Quebec and Montreal. If you just head a little bit west and cross over the border into Ottawa, the Ottawa Senators signed Brady Kachuk to an 8.2 average annual value, so AAV, times seven years. So one less year than Suzuki signed for and actually more money than Suzuki signed for as well. Not much, but a little bit. So 8.2 mil times seven years. Any thoughts on Brady Kachuk, Marcus? Great player. Maybe he doesn't have as many points as Nick Suzuki or doesn't have that player playoff performance, but mind you, he hasn't made the playoffs. But I think that Ottawa had to pay a little premium him i believe i heard that they were looking at 8 million or 7.9 and the brady camp was they wanted 8.5 i guess they met in the middle with that 8.2 so that's good to see they they were able to get a deal done because i think the ottawa franchise definitely needs brady kachuk in the game and on the team this was the one pick that they chose to keep for that duchene deal i want to say Oh, yeah. They gambled they on that They traded one. a first, or they had the option to keep one of their firsts. And it was like this one or the season after, and they ended up keeping the fourth overall pick and drafting Brady. Then yeah. Colorado got Ottawa's first the next season, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I do remember that, actually. And I remember a lot of people were 
actually criticizing the Sens. They said, fourth overall, give that one up because there's a chance you finish dead last the next season. But uh, yeah, they certainly made the right call. But again, I think you're right. It's more so they, they really identified this as a player that they wanted and they went and got him. They did not want to pass on Brady Kachuk. I think it's important to talk about the years here, seven years. One of the things that came out during negotiations was the fact that he was a little hesitant to sign a long-term deal in Ottawa. That has been a problem in the past because the Sens are one of those teams that have an internal cap. So for those of you who don't know what that means, there's a hard cap in the NHL. You can't, like, essentially when you create your roster, you only have a certain number of millions of dollars to create that roster with. You cannot go over whatever that hard cap is. And for a team like the Ottawa Senators, they don't spend all the way to the cap. They're usually underneath whatever the cap may be. So whenever people say an internal cap, they basically just mean that the owner tells the general manager, you have this much money to spend this year, you can't spend any more than this. So they have their own hard cap, but it's an internal one set by the team and by the owner. Ottawa has always kind of been a team with an internal cap, and they kind of ran into that problem a few years ago, right? They had Eric Carlson, they had Mark Stone, you know, they had Hoffman, they had a bunch of these guys that were really strong, talented players that they traded away because they knew that they wouldn't be able to sign them long-term and give them the money that they were worth. At the time, they were criticized because the response from Ottawa and the response from Eugene Melnick, who's the owner of Ottawa, was, no, we're willing to spend money on guys we want to keep. So it was kind of like a bit of a slap in the face to those players to say, you're just not the ones we want to keep. So the fact that they got him at seven years is number one, a show to the fans. We're making a commitment to the team right now. We're making a commitment to the team for the next five to seven years. We want to like, we think, and we want to see if we can win with the team that we have here. Um, Thomas Shabbat was another one. They signed him to an eight year deal. So it seems like, Shabbat and Brady will be there for the same amount of time and they just signed Drake Batherson as well so Batherson's there for six years too so you're starting to see them make a bit of a commitment to the core players they have there now and don't underestimate how important Brady signing in Ottawa is to other players in Ottawa wanting to stay there because if Brady only signed a two or three year deal and then he was going to try to work his way out of Ottawa either through a trade or you know, signing another short-term deal so that he'd be able to leave as a free agent, I bet there would be a lot more hesitation from the current guys in that dressing room and the guys who are coming through the farm system who may have second-guessed whether or not the Ottawa Senators were serious about keeping the players they have for the short-term run that they see because they think this team is going to be Stanley Cup worthy within the next two or three years. They want to make some runs at the Stanley Cup with the core that they have. So 8.2 mil might seem like a lot. He brings a lot of intangibles, but he is the leader of this team. It is more than likely that he'll be assigned the captaincy. Seven years of Brady Kachuk in Ottawa. Sens fans should be thrilled. Yep, I totally agree with you. Just of note, it was a conditional first round, like we said, that was traded from Ottawa to Colorado. It was a three-team deal. Kyle Turris was included in that, and he went to Nashville. But speaking of the first pick, it was either the 2018 first pick for, from Ottawa or the 2019 first pick from Ottawa. And Ottawa chose to keep the first round yeah, first selection. Round, first round selection. Ottawa chose to keep their first 
round pick for 2018 and that was fourth overall and they selected Brady Kachuk and actually the next season so Colorado got their 2019 first round pick which was actually fourth as well and they selected Bowen Byram so another solid Mm. young defenseman not that Brady Kachuk is a defenseman but Bowen Byram for Colorado is (laughs) he's he's going to be something too yeah and they already have Cal McCarr that's that's just not fair that's not fair and they have Gerard there too yeah that's a stack team. Also, Samuel Gerard was included in that trade. He was traded from Nashville to Colorado. In, oh in wow! That same trade. Yeah. Oh wow! So they, so they got Gerard and they ended up getting Byram with the pick. So they got Byram and Gerard for Matthew Shane. Well, they got a lot. They got a lot more for Colorado. They obtained from Ottawa Andrew Hammond, Shane Bowers, uh, the signing rights, and then the conditional first. And a 2019... Which turned into Bowen Byram. Yeah, which ended up being Bowen Byram. And a 2019 third round pick, which was Matthew Steinberg. And then from Nashville, they received Vladislav Kamenev, Samuel Gerard, and a second round 2018 pick, which is Philip Hollander. He's on Pittsburgh oh, right now. He's on Vancouver now, right? Oh, is he on Vancouver? Did Pittsburgh trade him? Who did you say he was playing for? Yeah, he's on Pittsburgh Penguins. He was the one that was traded oh, okay. to Toronto for the Kasperi Kapanen trade. Oh. And then Toronto traded him back to Pittsburgh for Jared McCann. So he's on right, he's on right, Pittsburgh right. right now. He's on Wilkes-Barre Scranton. He's played one game this season. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense then. I think who I was thinking of was Niels Hoagland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought you said Hoaglander. Sorry. So that was the guy for Vancouver. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Some of those, like when you break down the trades and you look at all the pieces. But this is a long, yeah. long roundabout way of saying that Colorado absolutely raked in, raked in on that Matt Duchesne deal. Wow. For that sure. was fantastic for them. But you know what? It worked out for the Sens as well because they ended up trading Duchesne afterwards yep. and they ended up getting some picks, didn't they? Uh, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, they, they traded. Duchesne and they traded Dezingle, I believe both of them to Columbus before he ended up signing as a free agent and going to Nashville. So anyways, yeah, Brady Kachuk, great player, heart and soul of the team. It's like that dying breed they keep talking about, right? When I see Brady Kachuk, I see Matthew Kachuk play. I think of like younger version of Milan Lijic, like when he was still mm. young and had legs and was fast yeah. and like brought all of these intangibles and I remember every time we played Boston as a Leafs fan, like nobody wanted to play Lucic. Yep. Every other team in the league wanted him because he had those, he had the scoring touch, but was also massive and could throw the body around and fight guys and like do all these things. So there's not too many more players in the league like Brady Kachuk and Matthew Kachuk, maybe Tom Wilson, but I don't think Tom Wilson's quite as skilled as those guys. So if you're talking about bringing a whole bunch of different aspects, and he very clearly is the leader of this team. That's that's a big signing. Big signing for seven more years, so that's fantastic. Yeah, they definitely play like their father, Keith Kachuk, for sure. That kind of power forward, gritty yeah. guy that will get in the corners, bang you around, and score some goals. Yeah, it's like I said, it's something that people consider more of a dying breed now, but extremely important, and most teams in the league would love to have those guys on their team because you hate playing against them. For sure. A few defensemen signed. Ekholm signed with Nashville. That's of importance because 
Everybody was talking about how Ekholm was one of the top trade targets last year at the trade deadline. Clearly, he's not going anywhere, so he's going to be off the board because everyone assumed he would be traded this trade deadline. And then Ryan Pollock and Adam Pellick is basically the 1A, 1B in New York, and they're both signed now for eight years. So they're going to be there basically for a long time. Yeah, and they're both 27. The next person I wanted to talk about was uh, Charlie McAvoy, plays defense for the Boston Bruins. He signed an eight-year contract with an average annual of uh, value, sorry, of $9.5 million. So AAV 9.5, that's against cap hit times eight years. This falls in line with what we were seeing this summer in terms of the trends of signing young defensemen. He is 23 years old. He is going to be the number one defenseman in Boston for the next eight years. That's why they signed up to this massive deal. It honestly reminds me a lot of like the Darnell Nurse signing. It reminds me a lot of the Wolbrensky signing, a lot of the Seth Jones signing. Um, I think he's very comparable. He's a young up-and-coming defenseman. Last year was his first real year taking on that role of number one defenseman. We talked about it in the last uh, podcast or maybe a couple earlier where we discussed that Zidane Chara left, Tori Krug left, who was left, Charlie McAvoy. Charlie McAvoy ended up being 25th last year in scoring for defensemen. He put up 30 points in 51 games which is a significant improvement from the year prior where he had 32 points in 67 games. So in 16 less games, he only put up two less points. So he clearly started to improve on the offensive talent, which everybody knew was there. But a lot of people talk about McAvoy and discuss the fact that he is actually a really good defenseman. He stops the other team from scoring. So the fact that he's adding in now the points totals, it's starting to come together he is only 23. They like him. They want him to be there for eight years. He's big too. He's he's not a small guy. So they see him as a true number one defender, right shot. They like everything about him. And that's why they paid him 9.5 mil over eight years. They didn't pay Tory Krug to stay. They decided to pay McAvoy to stay. Charlie McAvoy is definitely an elite defenseman. And he proved it last season where he was the main guy, as you were saying, with no Zidane O'Chara, no Tori Krug. It was his ship, and he steered it correctly. He's coming off a $4.9 million AAV season, the last of his current contract. It was a three-year, $14.7 million in total. That's a bridge deal. Yeah, that is a bridge deal. And now he's he's getting the big bucks at 9.5 million so i think it's a really good signing he's a very good defenseman that any team would love to have right-handed shot big guy six feet but i think he plays very big and he's gonna be he is the future and currently you know boston's number one defenseman currently and definitely for the future yeah things are looking bright there a lot of teams, everybody's looking for a true number one defenseman. They have on homegrown, and they're paying him. They want him to stay. So it's unfortunate for the Leafs because now they're going to have to play McAvoy every time they go to Boston. Too bad Boston didn't give up on him earlier like they gave up on Dougie Hamilton. And uh, he'll be there for the next eight years. So good for them. Good for him. Sucks for the Leafs. Oh, yeah. All right, the next section here, we're going to talk a little bit about some updates around the league. So one thing we want to discuss is the Eichel situation. The last time we discussed Eichel, we talked about this stalemate, right? We were talking about how the team wanted him to get a certain surgery and he wanted to get a different surgery. 
Just to clarify, he has a neck issue. So if we referred to it as a back problem last time, our apologies. It is a neck issue. It is a neck problem that he has. It's one of the discs in his spine that is the issue. So he wants to get a specific surgery where they actually fully replace one of the discs. And yeah, so that that's what he wants to get done. Uh, but the team and the doctors for the team do not want that to happen. So the last we left off, it was a pretty bad stalemate in the context that there was re no real progress. He's been sitting injured, so he's not playing. He's on the IR and basically waiting to get surgery. So he needs the permission of the team. And that's in the CBA. That's in the collective bargaining agreement that was signed between the NHLPA, that's the uh, Players Association, and the NHL. So in this case, the update is simple. The team itself, the Buffalo Sabres, has allowed the Eichel camp to go and be able to show his medical records with other teams. And by sharing his medical records with other teams, what they're doing is they're allowing those teams' doctors to take a look at what's happening with Eichel, the injury, taking a look at all of the medical documentation, and if those teams' doctors feel comfortable with Jack Eichel getting his preferred surgery, they're going to let their general managers know, and the general managers can then talk to Buffalo and say, you know what, we'll, we will trade for Jack Eichel and we'll let Jack Eichel get his preferred surgery. So it may not seem like a whole lot, but this is considered progress because if there are teams out there who are feeling comfortable with Jack Eichel getting this, his preferred surgery, then now they might feel more comfortable considering giving up more assets to try and trade for him. And one thing I was reading up on is it sounds like the surgery Eichel wants has a lower healing time. So he would actually be going through less physio, which means he could theoretically be back on the ice sooner. Whereas the procedure that the Buffalo Sabres staff and medical staff want him to get is something that would have him sidelined for even longer. So if teams are interested in trading for him and allow him to get his own surgery, it doesn't sound like he would be out for too long, which is also a positive in terms of making this kind of flow and go through. So there is a possibility he gets traded sooner rather than later, but at the same time, I mean, that's still a $10 million cap hit. So any team that's willing to make that trade is going to have to have the space or they're going to have to see if they can offset by giving some contracts back to the Buffalo Sabres. And we heard recently that the Buffalo Sabres have no interest in retaining any salary on Eichel's deal. They don't want that on their books for the next five years. So Perhaps they would do something similar to, let's say, Arizona this summer, where they traded OEL to Vancouver, and instead of keeping a ton of salary for OEL, they decided to like take on a bu bunch of contracts for the Vancouver Canucks, including Louis Erickson. So that's an update on the Eichel situation. Still not a whole lot happening in terms of what's gone on since the last time we discussed it but if his medical records are something that are going to help teams feel a little bit better about trading for him perhaps this is something that could potentially help him move out of buffalo any thoughts marcus i think that's very good in that you know buffalo's trying to facilitate the trade allowing like the teams to see his medical records and having their doctors review his records to see if it's a right fit or if they're comfortable with the surgery that Eichel wants to get I think you know you got to kind of make those concessions you got to play ball yeah yeah exactly exactly you got to play ball so that way 
obviously I think Buffalo just kind of want to get past this and, you know, move on. They don't want to be paying this guy 40 million for the next four seasons to just sit there. And I mean, obviously he was a big part of their future. Uh, They're obviously still hoping that he could be, but it doesn't look like it. And they got to move forward as an organization. And I think this will help facilitate that. Yeah, I certainly agree with you. I was just going to add one thing as well. I forgot to mention this, but for those of you not familiar in Eichel's trade, there's actually a condition where come next free agency. So by I believe it's either July 1st or it might be pushed back this year just because free agency is pushed back. But he actually does have a no-move clause kicking in once free agency happens this summer. So if this prolongs, if there's no deal done during the year because there's no teams that are able to make it work because of cap constraints or the way that their team is structured at the moment, and this kind of goes into next summer, the Buffalo Sabres are going to want to trade him before that July 1st or whatever the new date is for free agency, because if not, then his no movement clause kicks in and he could potentially nix a deal to certain teams. And so that actually limits who the Buffalo Sabres can talk to, which could theoretically limit the return that they get back for Jack Eichel as well. So I think it is great that they're opening it up for other teams because at the end of the day, we mentioned this last time, nobody is winning right now. Nobody is winning. With Jack Eichel sitting on the sideline and not playing, the NHL is missing out on a fantastic, ridiculous superstar player being in the lineup every single night. The Buffalo Sabres are missing having Jack Eichel or whatever assets they can get back for Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel is missing out because he can't physically play. Like, this just sucks for everybody. So hopefully something like this can really help to just kind of get the get the motion going here and see if they can pick it up and see if he can go somewhere. Yeah, that brings us to our next topic. I would say um, Phil Kessel on the trading block. It looks like uh, the Coyotes want to give their younger guys some opportunity. And since Phil Kessel is a veteran of the league and he definitely commands top line time and he deserves it, don't get me wrong, but I think with the Coyotes situation or how their team build is, they definitely have some younger players and they want to give them some more opportunity to develop. So it looks like Phil Kessel is on the trading block. Sean? Do you have a place in mind where Phil Kessel may end up or what the deal will look like kind of for Phil Kessel? Yeah, that's a great question. The first thing I wanted to mention, just for those of you wondering, he had 43 points in 56 games last year. So a lot of people think that he fell off because two years ago he had a bit of a down year. But last year he put up very respectable numbers, 20 goals, 24 assists in 56 games. This is a guy who still puts puck in the back of the net. He has those instincts. He has that ability. I see him being probably one of the top trade candidates come trade deadline this year. I think a lot of teams are going to be interested in Phil Kessel for two reasons. Number one, I already mentioned, he can score goals. Okay, He can score goals, he can get assists. The second reason is look back to his numbers with the Pittsburgh Penguins during their playoff runs. He is a playoff performer. This guy puts up a point per game in the playoffs, and we're talking Stanley Cup champion for two consecutive seasons where he was putting up north of 20 points in those playoffs both seasons. So this is a guy that's going to be coveted. This is a guy where 
if you already have a top line or you already have a you know a top line and even a second line center that you really love imagine throwing phil kessel into the mix so i think he's gonna go probably for a first round pick near the trade deadline i think you already mentioned it but arizona is full on blow-up mode they are in rebuild mode this summer they traded away as many people as they could to grab as many picks as they could they're just going to continue this trend I'm wondering actually if Phil Kessel gets traded before the trade deadline. I wonder if he's one of those guys where teams want to have him in for a bit more throughout the season. And I think Arizona is absolutely willing to make that happen. In terms of contending teams that would be looking for him, I think it's just you would have to take a look at those caps and just see if there's any money that can go back and forth. But I wouldn't rule out a reunion with the Pittsburgh Penguins if they end up making a playoff push near the end of the year. I think that that's a place where they're going to need some secondary scoring and he could potentially fit in really well as he already has in the past. Otherwise, you're going to see some other teams that are looking for guys down the stretch that can just kind of put the puck in the back of the net. But yeah, those are my thoughts. I think maybe Pittsburgh, although it's funny that he was traded from Pittsburgh to Arizona, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him head back that way. Hey, they made phone calls about Flurry the last couple of seasons too, and they're, they're the ones who gave him up, so... I wouldn't put it past that team. Do you have an idea of where you think he'll go, Marcus? Uh, I don't have any idea, but I think you're right in that it's going to be a playoff contender that's just looking to add some extra scoring depth and you know provide some more scoring, essentially, in the playoffs. And he has proven himself in the playoffs with his two Stanley Cup championships with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, he has proof from eating hot dogs out of the Stanley Cup. So... <laughs> That, that is hard proof, hard evidence. What a funny guy. Man, remember when he put his house up for sale? And there was that, oh, like, just the one, one living space. in his where, uh, theater. Yeah. <laughs> it was the big theater room. The entire wall was, like, a freaking screen. Yeah. And it's just one chair. <laughs> Everyone's like, I guess you like to hang out by yourself there, eh, bud? Yeah. <laughs> Heck of a hockey player, though. Heck of a hockey player. Also, his base salary is only $1 million. Uh, he was paid $5 million in bonuses this season, and his total salary is $6 million for this season. So he, even it could be a – I mean, he, his cap hit is still going to be the $6.8 million, but a team that may not have as much money could acquire him, especially with that $1 million Yeah, that's very true. Salary. Yeah, absolutely. And I even think back to last trade deadline because of the cap constraints because COVID hit and the the cap ended up staying where it was. There was a lot of teams taking on dead cap. So even I'm thinking back to like the deal that we had for um, uh, who did we get from Columbus again? Nick Felino. Felino, yeah, and the Felino trade like there was some cap, like there was uh, people who held the cap for us. I know last year as well there was a couple teams like the San Jose Sharks who were involved in trades where they didn't actually really take anybody except they took cap. Um, so the way that that works is pretty simple. Like technically a player gets traded to a third team and then traded to the, the destination that they really want to end up at because if they get traded to that third team first, the third team can technically hold up to 50% of the cap as well and send it over to the new team at the end destination. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Kessel in like a three-team trade where there's a third team that doesn't really do a whole lot besides hold on some of that cap hit. 
especially if what you're saying is true where he only has a million in real money left to pay out then that third team would have no problem taking on some cap and basically getting a prospect out of it yeah like the Leafs did a couple seasons ago with Robin Leonard actually he was a Leaf (laughs) yes very very briefly but that was exactly the situation that is correct that is what happened all right somebody else who is on the block Speaking of the desert, no longer there, but traded from the desert was Dylan Strom. Dylan Strom is currently playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. He plays center for them, but he is kind of down on the charts there because Mr. Jonathan Taves is back in town after being away for last season, and they also traded for Tyler Johnson. So they have Johnny Taves, Tyler Johnson, and Kirby Dak as their one, two, three centers. That means Dylan Strom is playing fourth line duties right now and a lot of teams are calling and they're asking about his availability we're talking about a 24 year old used to be you know used to be highly touted he had a couple good seasons where he put up some decent numbers 34 points and then sorry uh, 51 points and 38 points so we're talking about some really solid numbers for a guy who was a third overall pick in 2015 by the way, he was taken third overall. You know who was taken fourth overall? Mitch. Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner. Crazy. What a what a what a selection by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, but yeah, anyways, third overall pick, 51 points, 38 points last year. It's disappointing, but he still put up 17 points in 40 games. That's almost half a point a game for a guy who's playing fairly down low basic you know, third, fourth line duties. If there's a team that's interested in giving this guy a shot on, you know, a third line or maybe even a second line, I wonder if he could bring back some of that touch that he had earlier. And it's just one of those things where everybody's always looking for depth at center position. Everybody's always looking for that guy, especially when it comes to the playoff pushes. So I think that when we're talking about Dylan Strom, we're talking about somebody who certainly would have teams peaked interest and uh, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up getting traded because if you're Chicago, you already have three centers, three solid centers for more than one season. So maybe this is where you kind of take a look and you say, okay, we're doing really well at the center position. We need some more defense. Is there somewhere where we could maybe make a trade where we could send this guy over for some defensive help? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's kind of unfortunate in that, you know, when he got traded to Chicago, he kind of broke out with his 51 points in 58 games with Chicago that season. And then he kind of tapered off with only 38 the next season. And then last season, he only had 17. Mind you, that was on a pretty bad Chicago team. But still, it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of unfortunate for him. You want to see players succeed. And he was a high pick at three. And... I think he's still very young at 24. He can definitely bounce back. He's shown he's shown that in his career before, um, you know, not doing too well in Arizona. Like, still learning his craft or, you know, getting to the NHL speed. And then, you know, got traded to Chicago. I guess the situation was, was good for him. And he was able to blossom with his 51 points in 58 games, which is pretty outstanding considering he had six points in 20 games the same season in Arizona just before he was traded so I just you know you just want to see him maybe find a find the good fit somewhere else where he can uh, show his skill and perform to his potential yep 
And uh, for those of you counting, somebody on this podcast mentioned that Tyler Johnson might be a good idea in fantasy option because he is the one playing with Alex DeBrinkett and Patrick Kane. Yep. Anyways, we can save that for fantasy talk later on. The next thing we want to get into is some Leafs talk. So we are hometown Leaf fans, and we want to talk about the three games that happened this week. Leafs played against the Habs. They won that game against the Habs. Played against the Sens twice. The first game they lost. The second game they won. So overall, Leafs have a 2-1 record. They're looking pretty good. Even in the game that they lost, I thought they played a really solid hockey game all around. And I think the goalie for the Ottawa Senators that game, he just played outstanding. And if it wasn't for him, I truly do think the Leafs would have won that game and been 3-0 to start the season. So let's break it down, Marcus. Let's take a look at each game and talk about some of the things we like, some of the things that maybe the Leafs need to work on. Do you have a preference on which game you talk about? Yeah, I'll, ta- I'll start off with the Leafs versus Habs in the home opener or you know season opener for them. One thing I did notice, which is pretty cool to hear, um, there's a lot of people from Ontario on the Toronto Maple Leafs. It seemed like every every player or every other player was from Ontario, somewhere in Ontario, Scarborough, Toronto, Newmarket, everywhere. So it's that's really cool to see, especially being from Toronto yourself and being a big fan. And you know, you you think back to. 10 years ago and there wasn't there's maybe like one player on Toronto who's from Toronto but now it seems like everyone's come back to Toronto to play and you know we have a great team so that's also encouraging to hear and see so yeah to talk about the game I think um, one of the plays you saw Mitch Marner had a two-on-one and uh, he, he just shot the puck without any hesitation so it's good to see. Definitely a lot of times the goalie will be guessing, you know, Mitch Marner's probably going to pass it, but I think he he wants to break out of that stereotype. He talked about it last season and probably the season prior that he's he wants to shoot more and score more goals just to change it up cuz you know, if you see a 2 on 1, Mitch Marner's got the puck, 95% he's going to pass it, but in that game, he just shot it right away. So I think that's good to see. Yeah, it's great to see. And I think you're right in terms of that's something he's been trying to work on now for a little bit. And I feel like for two or three seasons now, he said he's going to do it. But this is like one of the first times where you, you really see it on the ice. You see it starting to happen. The other thing that uh, came from this game was no Matthews on the power play. But apparently no problem because do you know who scored? Pierre Engvall. Yeah, Pierre Engvall with the power play goal. And later in the game, I also saw him playing on the PK. So here's a guy who a lot of people were hemming and hawing about, talking about whether or not he would even make the Leafs. He he has a lot of skill. He has a lot of upside. He has a lot of things that he does well on the ice. And I think that that really came through in the game against the Habs. And he really showed his value in that game. Yeah, it's good to see him getting the opportunity and... Sheldon Keefe can see that he's he's pretty hot and he's getting playtime, so it's good. It's good. I mean, I'm not going to complain, especially when he's scoring goals like that, so it's good to see. Another player of note, I would say, is Jack Campbell. It was really good to see he's back where he was last season, just dominating, playing extremely well, stopping the puck, controlling rebounds very well, 
and not getting too scrambly or out of position. So it's really good to see that Jack Campbell's back at his performance from last season. And considering that, unfortunately, Mrazek got injured and he's going to be out two weeks, that Jack Campbell looks solid as ever and we'll be able to ride him going forward. Absolutely. He is, if you want to call it 1A, 1B, he's 1A. Uh, if you want to say starter backup, he is the starter. So Campbell looked great. Soup, getting it done. Um, and, yeah, the other thing I really liked is, you know, last year they, they tried to bring in some guys to add a little bit more grit to the team. They brought in some guys who maybe, you know, have a particular role or the way that they play hockey. This year, I, you know, I was watching that game. I really loved the way Bunting was playing. He created a lot of space in front of the net. There would be, you know, like two or three guys trying to hit him, trying to get him out of the way, trying to get him away from the goalie. And he was still there, pushing back, trying to get at the puck, trying to get the puck towards the net. It's it's nice to see guys who have the skill, who are able to put the puck in the net, but also have the size and also have the capability to just annoy the heck out of the other team. And to use that frame and to use that body to kind of do a bit of a mix of the physicality and also the skill. Nick Ritchie also looked great. Nick Ritchie is another guy who he has that ability to annoy the other team and throw his body around and, and do what he needs to do to get it done. But he also does have the soft touch. So it was nice to see guys like Bunting and Richie really step up and play the role that they were brought into play. I think it brought a whole new level, a whole new dynamic to the Leafs. And that's something they've been missing for a little while. For sure. They definitely add that extra grit that you want to see that, you know, maybe the Leafs of the 90s or the early 2000s used to have with that. Darcy Tucker, Shane Corson type players, those gritty players that really get in the face of the opposing team and just annoy them, like you said. It's good to see that. Fan favorites. And, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Michael Bunting is going to be a fan favorite. His goal against Ottawa last night was pretty nice, and you just see him really getting in front of the goalie, annoying the other team, and just like, you know, that kind of – that's what you need during the playoffs. I think the Leafs have kind of been missing that. So these new acquisitions definitely are checking those boxes. I just want to mention William Nylander's goal. He scored the second goal in the game, uh, the game winner. It was a pretty nice goal. And Nylander's been off to a great start, which is good to see. He's definitely adding that second line or that secondary scoring. With Austin Matthews out, he's kind of taking over that goal scoring role right now absolutely i mean it's a carryover right because last postseason he was the one putting the puck on the net he was the one who showed up in the big moments and i think this year you really see that confidence carrying over and anyone who knows nylander or follows you know his interviews in social media you know that he does not lack confidence and it's nice to see him start out the season in that way confidence Absolutely. That, that is 100% William Nylander. So it's nice to see it start out so early in the season because you just never know a guy like that. Maybe this is the season where he breaks 40 goals, right? He certainly has the 30 goal potential. Do you think maybe he has a little bit more with a hot start like this and the confidence that he's having, Marcus? Oh, yeah, I think I think he can. He definitely has that skill. He was picked very high and he has that potential. So he does get overshadowed with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner on the same team but you know he plays with Tavares normally Uh, obviously now Tavares moved up to play with Marner but I think he's carrying his his line and 
he's score, he's putting the puck in the net, so he could definitely break forty. You know, he could he could get eighty to hundred points. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. He's he's really good. He, he's one of those guys where you just have all these playmakers, and then you have a guy who puts puck in the back of the net, and that's exactly what he does. So hopefully, he continues to do that. All right. So and just to clarify, I don't think we said, but the final score of that game was was two to one for the Maple Leafs. So that was the game against the Montreal Canadiens. So they pulled out the win on the first night. Campbell only let in the one goal, so he got the win. And then the next game that happened, that was the 3-2 to two game against the Senators. They won 3-2. to two. Um, And then, yeah, the third game, the Maple Leafs won 3-1. to one. So we're going to talk about the next two games now. We're going to talk about Leafs versus Sens. One of the things I want to mention, and it actually was a little bit of a carryover from the last game, but something I've noticed for a while. This is a huge pet peeve of mine with the Toronto Maple Leafs. This team has so much skill, so much talent, but the thing that drives me nuts is the beginning of games and the end of periods. Like, it's three games into the season, and you already have an interview with Sheldon Keefe, the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, where he's talking about the team's slow start. And you're like, how are they not ready? How are they not ready from the puck drop right at the beginning of the game it just makes no sense to me how an nhl team with this much media attention and they're not ready to go like well anyways the other thing that i was talking about there is the end of periods i've found over the last five years in this austin matthews mitch marner era for whatever reason this team is brutal in the last minute last two minutes of periods they, for whatever reason, they lose focus. They're already thinking about going to the change room to have a meeting or whatever the heck they do between periods. And they just don't close out periods. They give up way too many chances. They give up way too many goals with less than a minute to go. And you saw it in these games. You saw it in these games against the Habs. You saw it again in the games against the Sens. So we're talking about the fact that, you know, the Sens scored a goal with 0.6 seconds left. And then we're talking about the fact that you go and you see a guy like Peter Mrazek, who is brand new to the league, or to the Leafs, my apologies. He just started out playing for them. This is his first game. This is finally like one of the best tandems the Leafs have had in so long. Jack Campbell is a starter. Peter Mrazek has a backup. We're going to get a ton of wins from our goalies. And how does he get hurt? They've made a lazy play within the last 30 seconds of the period, and Mrazek has to go and save the team's butt and make a beautiful save by kicking his leg out, and he hurts his groin. So it's not even just letting the goals in in the last minute of the period, but the laziness, and you see the effects of it. You see the team being impacted and affecting it. Now Mrazek's out for two weeks. Okay, and we're going to talk about it for the next game with the Sens, but what do they have to do? They have to go and sign a freaking University of Toronto goalie because of their cap constraints. They can't even bring up Hutchison. So all of this because they're too lazy to close out the last minute of the friggin' period. This is something the coach needs to address. This is something the team needs to recognize as a weakness, as something that they do consistently. This is not just a one-off or two-off. This is a pattern of laziness that needs to stop. This team is too good to be giving up chances, to be giving up goals in the last minutes of periods. They just can't let it happen. They should be a top two team in this division, and it's not going to happen if they can't clean up the sloppiness of simple things like that. There's my rant. That's my rant for the friggin' things that 
piss me off about the Maple Leafs. Besides the fact that they had a fantastic start and they're two and one, and really they should be three and zero. In my opinion, they should have won that game against the Sens. But yeah, they got to fix that. They got to knock that off. What else did you notice, Marcus? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, they went down three nothing very early in the game or in the first period, for that matter, against Ottawa and. The Ottawa goalie, Forsberg, came up big. I think he almost had like close to 50 shots or something like that. He just stopped the Leafs. I, I mean, I don't think... The, first of all, the Leafs probably shouldn't have given up three goals in the first period. That did not help their cause. And, you know, maybe... The, I find the Leafs always... Or Ottawa always plays very well against the Leafs. Is it the Leafs say they take them too easily and kind of look past them? And, and then Ottawa comes up big. But whatever for whatever it is, I think they're not focused, like you said, or they're just not playing well against Ottawa, and it just it just shows. And they could have totally won that game. And uh, Forsberg came up big. Kudos to him. Yeah, forty six saves on forty eight shots. Yeah, and and some of those saves he made were some pretty ridiculous saves. He he stole the game. That's what he did. The Maple sure. Leafs, in my opinion, played better than the Sens throughout the game. They had more chances, way more shots. At the end of the day, if you don't give up that stupid goal in the last minute of the first period, you're only down 2 nothing, and then all of a sudden the game is way different. So, yeah, kind of plays into my rant a little bit where they just lose focus when they shouldn't lose focus. So, small things, simple things, but at the end of the day, this is an 82-game season, and I sure hope that two points at the end of an 82-game season aren't the make or break of it because... Damn, that was very frustrating. Um, speaking of frustrating, <laughs> I guess I'm just going on my tangent here. But, uh, oh, man, what a contrasting difference for Pierre Engvall from game one to game two. Like, oh, this is one of those guys where he has the skill. He has everything available. He's big. He's tall. He has the reach. He has the speed. He has the skating ability. He even has the stick handling and the shot. Like, some of the goals you see him score, those wristers from like at the top of the circle, he has all of the pieces. They just don't always fit together. And sometimes he just makes those stupid plays. And you're just like, dude, you're an NHL player. Like you can't do that. It's just things that are super simple, super frustrating, taking really, really bad penalties, dumping the puck when he shouldn't be dumping the puck. But I guess that's one of those things where you, you live and you die by it because a guy like that who's playing third line minutes, potentially fourth line minutes down down the road once Matthews gets back, you just you have to recognize he's only making you know $1.5 million. And some games he's going to show up and he's going to be amazing. And other games he might just annoy the heck out of you. But he's not a $10 million player, so you don't expect him to be at his best every single game. And it's a little frustrating, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. You gotta just be okay with the roller coaster. Yeah, I think for those who are listening, I think Sean's talking about one of the goals against. Uh, Angval was skating out of our zone, and he kind of looked over to his left and kind of just chipped it into an open spot, still in our zone. So Ottawa's offensive side, and it went to nobody. It just like it was supposed to go to maybe Muzzin, but. Muzzin wasn't there, and it just kind of went into an open spot. Ottawa got it and scored a goal. For those of you who are listening, that's probably what Sean is talking about, or one of the plays that is that can be frustrating to watch from Pierre Engvall, correct? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and then some of the penalties he takes, yeah. It's just he can be so good, 
<laughs> he could be such a good player in the NHL. He just can't quite put it all together. So it is what it is. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about was hold on, the hold on, Sean. signing of one thing, one thing, Sean. I think you may have jinxed our boy Peter Mrazek. Did you not say Uh-oh. in like a previous podcast that he's gonna get injured or he may get injured or something? And now look, he's out two weeks. I think you jinxed it. I think I may have. Yeah, yeah. That that was when we were discussing. I th- I think a little bit about the Leafs goaltending situation, and I was talking about in fantasy how Jack Campbell would definitely be the starter. Mrazek is getting paid to be more than backup, so he should get games. But yeah, he he's injured a lot and. Uh, Unfortunately, he got injured again. Game one. Yeah. Game yeah, one for the Leafs. Can you say something else? Injured. Like jinx someone else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Say, yeah, say John maybe. Tavares is only going to score two goals or something, and then he'll go the opposite of what you say or something. <laughs> <laughs> Matthews is coming back this week. He's going to play his first game. Yeah. You know, maybe Matthews doesn't win the Rocket Richard Trophy this year. Yeah, but now Let's if see. he doesn't, now works. it's your fault. <laughs> well. But I'm I'm trying to do the reverse psychology. The like opposite, yeah, that's true. That is true. If I say John Tavares is only going to score two goals, and then he only scores two goals, you're going <laughs> to blame it on me too. So yeah, I don't think you're going to win here, no matter what. You got it. You got Mrazek injured already. Let's just stop talking about the Leafs. Then maybe we're just kidding. We're going to move on to the next game. Yeah, we, we we can talk about the Leafs, but doesn't necessarily impact the Leafs that much. Uh, I wanted to talk quickly about the signing the amateur signing of uh, Alex Bishop, the University of Toronto goalie. So the Leafs, because Peter Mrazek got injured and left, they could not call up uh, Hutchison, who's their third goalie. He's currently playing with the Marlies because of the cap situation. So they could not afford to bring up Hutchison. They would have been over the hard cap. So the way that the league works is you basically have to be under 20 players for one game, and then you're allowed to call people up on an emergency basis. So the Leafs had to sign this goalie, Alex Bishop, and they gave him basically a one-day amateur tryout. He came, he dressed, he sat on the bench. If Campbell had gotten injured, which he did not, then Alex Bishop would have been playing a net. But because of the way the whole cap situation works, they couldn't just bring Hutch up. They had to bring this guy in. Then, because they had less than 20 players for one game, now they're able to call up Hutch. Hutch will be available for them in their games this week as the backup goalie for as long as Preetam Razik is out now. So, it's just kind of weird how this whole situation works and how they had to sign a backup goalie. Everybody has those terrible memories of the, well, maybe not terrible, but David Era's games where they had the e-bug come in, the emergency backup goalies. It's, it just seems so funny that we're talking about three games into the Maple Leaf season and they had the University of Toronto goalie sitting on their bench as a backup. That That's pretty funny. What do you think about that, Marcus? It is pretty funny, but could you imagine being Alex Bishop? That's like a dream come true. I know he grew up a Leafs fan and everything, and he got to sit on the bench, sit in the the dressing room with the boys and everything, and experience what it will be like being an NHL goalie. I mean, oh, he yeah. does play for UFT, so in all likelihood, he probably won't make the NHL. But um, I think that that's really cool for him, and that's like an amazing experience that like almost nobody ever gets to 
see your well, experience. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say you're wrong because he did make the NHL. He oh, was yeah. on the Maple Leafs bench. So <laughs> I'm not sure. sure what you consider making the NHL, but he dressed. Well, his name was on the games, back of the jersey. You know. <laughs> ah, okay. Yes, yes. Playing games for the Maple Leafs. Making I'm glad to, millions we, or close to yeah. a million. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he just got all of his equipment signed and tried to take as many sticks or paraphernalia he was able to grab out of there yeah. on his way out. But man, what what a situation. And I, I just wanted to bring up quickly, well, I don't know how quickly it's going to be, but just talking about that situation and how ridiculous it was that the Maple Leafs are not able to call up Hutch. I, I kind of see this as a microcosm of the bigger problem the NHL has right now, which is the hard cap. The NHL has a hard salary cap in their league. Baseball doesn't do this. Basketball doesn't do this. Um, the NFL is a little bit different, but we're talking about trying to expand, trying to grow these leagues, trying to get you know all these players, all this experience and money. Hard caps just create so many headaches for no reason. So, for those of you wondering, you know what are some solutions to potentially alleviate those problems? I was on Twitter. I've listened to interviews with Alan Walsh before. Alan Walsh is a player agent, and most notably, he's the player agent for Marc-Andre Fleury. If everybody remembers that fantastic photo that was photoshopped with the sword going through Marc-Andre Fleury's back, that was technically posted by Alan Walsh, the agent for Fleury. And I also saw, we're going to plug in here, but saw our on our Twitter account, I was taking a look that's a face-offs fantasy Twitter account. So if you're not following that, please do. Carlo Koliakovo, um, he was talking about it as well on Twitter. The introduction of soft cap. So former for those Leaf, of you who don't Leaf, know, by the way, former Leaf, Carlo Koliakovo, first round pick, Carlo Koliakovo, former Leaf. Yeah. Um, he's, from Toronto he's, on, well. uh, he's from Toronto as well. I believe he's on TSN 1050. He, he talks on the radio. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the couple guys there that were talking about it, but, Discussing the idea of a soft cap instead of a hard cap. So for those of you not familiar, the hard cap in the NHL right now is $81.5 million. So that means when teams construct their rosters, they cannot spend more than $81.5 million. Like it's just a, it's against the collective agreement. You cannot spend over that cap. If you spend over that cap, I'm assuming that Gary Bettman would step in. They would force you to get rid of certain players or do certain things to make sure that you stay below that $81.5 million cap. Now, there's certain exemptions when it comes to like LTIR. If players aren't actually playing, but they're on your team, you can put them on all that kind of stuff. We don't have to get into that jargon right now. All I want to discuss is that $81.5 million, that is the hard cap. You can't go over it. The soft cap would be let's say $81.5 million is the soft cap where you're not supposed to go over it. But if you do, then you have to pay a luxury tax to the league. So let's say the soft cap is $81.5 million and then the hard cap is now $100 million. There's teams where if you spend under $81.5 million, you don't go over that cap, you wouldn't have to pay any additional luxury taxes to the league. If you spend between $81.5 million and $100 million, which would be the soft cap to the hard cap ceiling, for every million dollars you spend over that cap, you would have to send money to the league as a luxury tax. So whatever they decide that might be, maybe it's 1.5, whatever it is. So let's say you spend 80 
$6.5 million. So now you're $5 million over the cap. You would have to pay the league uh, a fee of $2.5 million. So 50% of whatever it is that you spent over. I don't know what the actual logistics of the numbers would look like. The league and the and the teams would discuss that. But the reason that this is so important is because it allows teams the flexibility to spend a little bit more money, to try to be a little bit more competitive. Everybody's happy. The teams are happy because they can spend money on more players. The players are happy because every player is now going to be able to afford or be able to get more contracts when they make more money. And for those of you wondering, is this only going to help the teams that are at the top end of value. So for example, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the New York Rangers, the Montreal Canadiens, these are very wealthy and rich teams in the league. So they could spend up to $100 million every year and they could easily pay a luxury tax a league. They don't care if it makes their team more competitive. But here's where it helps the teams that don't often spend to the cap the the top level of the cap so maybe you're talking about the ottawa senators or the florida panthers or you know some of these teams where they don't often spend all the way to the cap that's already there any team that's paying luxury tax to the nhl that money goes to the league and goes into a fund where teams like the ottawa senators and the florida panthers and any other team that is in the lower half of spending in the league is able to take money and use it to spend on their own players. So it's helping some of the richer teams by being able to afford to spend more money on certain players, but also the money that they're spending and the luxury tax they have to pay to the league is going directly to the teams that are lower in the league to help them be able to pay for players as well. So maybe they have their internal cap where they say, we're not going to spend more than $70 million but then they can go to the league and they can get another $10 million from the luxury tax pool. Well, now all of a sudden, those teams that usually have 70 might have $80 million to spend. So it's not something that is only helpful for the teams at the very top. It does help the teams that are lower in the bottom as well because the teams at the top can actually help subsidize the teams at the bottom a little more, which they're already doing anyways. The top teams like the Maple Leafs and the Rangers and the Canadians, they already are. They already have uh, revenue sharing amongst all the teams as we go. This way, it helps a little bit more because the teams can spend more, which means they can actually add more to that pool. And the teams at the bottom wouldn't just get money to support the team, but they would actually get money that they could spend on players. So if you're the Florida Panthers and you have two or three seasons where you're very competitive and you want to try to spend closer to the cap limit of $100 million, maybe that's where you go in and you dig into that pool and you try to take money out. Right now, the way it is with the hard cap, the fact that the Leafs couldn't even bring up their third string goalie to play backup, like this is a problem. This is something that needs to be fixed. This is, it's been long enough. It truly has. And you look around at all these other leagues, you look at basketball, you look at baseball, you look at some of the money these guys makes. Like Connor McDavid makes the most money in the NHL. He is the highest paid player. He makes $12.5 million. That's nothing compared to some of these other leagues because some of these other leagues have those limits going up and up and up every year. And if teams want to spend more, they can spend more, which means players can make more. So I think it's time the league at least considered and maybe have those conversations with you, with the NHLPA just to see what the, the level of interest would be because it's one of those things where I do see it helping the whole league not just the teams at the top. And I think that that's a misconception and maybe that's why there has been such pushback on this for 
so long as it's been. But yeah, ever since they went from like no cap at all to hard cap, I just feel like it hasn't had the same impact or the same effect. So maybe there's something in between. And that's what I'm talking about here with that kind of soft cap. Do you have any thoughts on that, Marcus? Yeah. Just of note, there is also a lower limit to the cap. So teams cannot spend below this number for the 21-22 season. It is $60.2 million. So teams cannot spend That, that came up, that. actually. Because, oh, did you say uh, that? No, I didn't say that. Sorry, I meant that came up this offseason because the Ottawa Senators, Colin White got injured and mm-hmm. they had to put him on the IR. So his contract went on LTIR. Oh. And because of that, they actually dropped below the cap floor. And so mm-hmm. they had to sign another player. So that <laughs> happened like this year where a team basically had to sign somebody for that particular reason. Yeah. So there you go. There's a there's an example of the opposite side where a team is so close to the bottom of the cap that one of their players got injured and they had to sign a player just to pay the money to hit the cap floor, which is kind of sad. I do agree with you with the I think uh, they should definitely consider moving to the soft cap. Talking about the NBA, they have a tiered system with the soft cap. So everything basically up to $5 million over the limit, you have to sp- a team would have to spend a dollar 50 extra to sign said player or added to their salary cap that would go, I guess, to what Sean was talking about to their luxury tax fund. And then from like the 5 million to a dollar under 10 million, so 9,999,999 uh they have to spend $1.75 yeah <laughs> exactly seven nines in a row $1.75 and then the next 5 million so basically under 15 million is $2.50 and from up to 20 million or just under 20 million is $3.25 so, so it, just that's keeps just like incrementally going yeah just yeah exactly it's tiered and it just incrementally or gets larger for if they want to spend more money over the salary cap and yeah i think or i know that uh, most teams aren't profitable in the nhl there's only a handful of teams that actually make money sean mentioned some of them with like the leafs uh, montreal the rangers they're the more profitable teams and they should be able to flex that and they're already providing the rest of the league with most of their income um, with the revenue sharing, why not give them not a huge advantage? You know, Sean was suggesting, I think he said like 5 million or 20, sorry, not five, 10 to $20 million more where they have to pay for it. And this money can go back into the luxury tax fund that will also provide money to the lower spending teams. So I definitely agree with that, and I think it's something they should definitely look into. Funny thing, you talk about the salary cap. When the first, when the salary cap was first introduced, I think it was at like forty million. So the league's already doubled their salary cap since it was introduced. But it's got to change because it's kind of a joke that the Leafs had to sign a like University of Toronto amateur goalie just 
because they couldn't like call up their own goalie because they're so close to the cap. I mean, that's the Leafs playing it close or showing that uh, how close they are to the cap. And kudos goes to Brandon Pridham, who's their assistant GM, and he's like the cap guy. <laughs> yeah. There, there was a lot of things at play there too. Like we didn't mention the whole story, but because Justin Hall was injured, that me that meant that Lilligren was in the lineup. But if Justin Hall, for example, was not injured, they could have sent Lilligren down to the AHL team, and he's exempt from waivers. So because of that, this wouldn't have been an issue. They would have sent Lilligren down. They would have brought up yeah. Hutchison. But because Hall was injured, or sorry, not injured, he was feeling uh, unwell. And then the same mm-hmm. thing ended up happening. Like for next game, we're going to have both Hall and Muzzin out because both of them aren't feeling well at this time. So because of that, you need guys like Sandine and Lilligren who are exempt from the waivers to actually play in the game. Otherwise, you don't have enough defensemen. It's going to be hard to win the game. So they basically decided instead of short shorting themselves on defense and sending down somebody who's exempt to bring up a backup goalie, they just kind of rolled the dice. They said, you know, likelihood of Campbell getting injured in this game is so minimal. We'll just sign this guy. Hopefully he sits on the bench. We don't actually have to play him. But the, yeah, you know, there's more factors that go into it. But it's, it is still crazy. Like, they have a third goalie. There's somebody there that's available making league men. Like, it's not like this guy's making $5 million. You're trying to bring him up. Like, he makes eight hundred and seventy-five k or whatever the minimum is at that point. And you can't even bring him up for one game. Seven fifty. So, pretty, pretty crazy in my opinion. So, All right. Welcome to our fantasy portion of the podcast. Um, I just want to start by calling you out, Sean, for I think a couple podcasts ago, you said I only won the championship twice. Dude, put some respect on my name because I won it three times. Okay, and, (laughs) you know, you could debate. I'm not going to say four, but I came in first in the shortened season, so. I mean, we didn't get to play the playoffs, but I was the favorite. So I'm not going to say four, but I've won it three times, okay? And you just won your second. So you're, like, bragging about <laughs> how great you are. And you, you, the first one you won, like, five years ago when we had, like, four people in in the fantasy, in our fantasy league. So Ouch. now you're, you're all high Taking and mighty, shots. but... Yeah, <laughs> you're all high and mighty uh, you know, saying, oh, I've got two wins and everything. And, oh, I'm tied with Marcus. No, no, no. I have three and I've dominated before. And, okay, you won last year. Good job. And we'll see who wins this year. Maybe you'll tie me at three. But I have three championships, <laughs> okay? Just, just right, want to start well, with that. And now put some we're going to talk about some. Name. Sorry, Mark. Yes, please. Thank you. And now we're going to talk about some players of the week and some other players uh, who you probably want to start if you have them or pick them up. So I'd say first player of the week, I'm going to go with Anze Kopitar. He scored a hat trick, I believe. And then for the week, he's finished with four goals, three assists and three power play points in two games, um, as well as 22 faceoffs and 10 shots on goal. I think he's like, Ranked probably number one or number two in most uh, leagues. So that was one guy I did mention as like 
mid-round value. And look at him now. He's one of the top guys out there. Yes, very true. He uh, is definitely added that value. And that was that was when we were discussing my strategy. Wait on the centers, wait on the centers. Usually somebody like Kopitar is pretty, pretty far down there and you can grab him with some great value. Um, I'm going with Steven Stamkos, Marcus. He played one extra game, so keep that in mind when I read his stats. He had one more game played than Anze Kopitar. But three goals, four assists for seven points, and three of his seven points were on the power play. And that uh, is some fantastic news for anybody who plays with leagues that include power play points. He also had 21 faceoff wins and 10 shots on goals. So essentially the same stats as Anze Kopitar, but Anze Kopitar did it in two games, whereas Stamkos did it in three. Nice. Very good value as well. Um, next player of the week, I'm going to keep it within the LA organization, Drew Doughty. He had one goal, five assists, probably helped that he could just pass to Anze Kopitar and he'll put it in the net. <laughs> and he also had uh, three power play points. So Drew Doughty's off to a great start. Oh, that's, that's music to my ears, Marcus, because Drew Doughty <laughs> is one of the defensemen on my fantasy team. Yeah, that's right. I went and picked up Drew Doughty. Uh, next guy I want to talk about, Chris Letang. Chris Letang, oh, he feels like he's been around forever now. This guy has four goals and four assists already. Eight points this year on the season. He has a power play point. He also has 11 hits. Chris Letang? Wow. 11 hits? Yeah. What, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> he's got to be careful. He doesn't want to throw his body around too much because uh, oh, maybe this is where the next jinx comes in, Marcus. Oh, no. But much like Peter Mrazek. <laughs> Chris Letang is somebody who often gets injured throughout the seasons. He is a phenomenal talent. Eight points already through, you know, three games. Whew. That is some that is some good value right there. That's without Sidney Crosby and Evgeny and Malkin, Malkin. to pass too. So good for him. Yep. Next guy, I'm gonna go with our hometown boy, Soup, Jack Campbell. Off to a great Soup. start, obviously. Oh, two wins. Um he had actually, well, he he fi- he finished the second game against Ottawa, so that's an extra period. So his goals against average is super low at zero point eight six, and he has a nine six eight save percentage. So Jack Campbell, great player of the week so far, one of the top goalies. Vesna, Vesna, could all be. right. Cam Talbot. Two wins, 151 goals against average, and a 950 save percentage. I uh, won both starts that he did, uh, that he went with uh, the Minnesota Wild. So that's a team that has fantastic defense. They're scoring enough goals to get the wins. Um, Cam Talbot had a phenomenal season for them last year. People were hemming and hawing because he was kind of up and down with the Oilers, but so far so good with Minnesota. Wow, fantastic goals against average, fantastic save percentage. Hopefully it continues if you have him on your team. Yeah, hopefully it continues hot. Okay, and our next fantasy section is who to stream. So we're looking at players here who are available in most leagues. And, you know, you should look to pick them up because they're off to a great start. And my first pick um, from the Seattle Kraken is Brandon Tanev. He's a left wing, right wing. He's only owned in 31% of Yahoo leagues. He's got three goals so far, four PIMs, one power play point, seven shots on goal, and 11 hits. So I think this guy adds lots of categories, and hopefully he continues his hot start, and I think this is a guy that maybe you should pick up short term. Monster on 
the variety of categories. You just get such a variety of things for you. It just it really helps padding those stats, right? And with the left slash right wing, ooh, can fit in anywhere. Um, sure. Speaking of Brandon Tenev, I'm going to talk about his old team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I'm going to talk about Jeff Carter. Jeff Carter's center slash left wing for Pittsburgh. Um, important to note, this is somebody we're talking about as a, as a stream for right now, somebody you should pick up in the short term. Sidney Crosby should be back relatively soon. Malkin's going to be out for a while, but for the time being, Carter is one of the top centers in Pittsburgh until we see the return of Crosby and Malkin. He has been playing number one center minutes, and he has been producing in that role. Okay? He has one goal and three assists. He has nine shots on goal and 36 face-off wins through the week so far this week. Um, if you do not have Jeff Carter on your team and you're looking for a little bit of an extra punch this week, a lot of guys uh, in fantasy, they might have one or two guys that they consider floaters on their teams, guys that they pick up and drop depending on the week because you want to streamline, you want to make sure you're getting guys who play a lot of games. If you are that kind of fantasy owner or that kind of fantasy player, I highly recommend picking up Jeff Carter until Crosby gets back because he is going to be putting up a ton of categories for your fantasy team. Yeah, definitely getting those first-line minutes now, and he's putting up those first-line numbers a good guy to try and pick up if he's available. Uh, moving on to some defensemen, uh, I'm going to go with Eric Cernak on the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's only owned in 16% of Yahoo leagues at the moment. And so far, he's got two assists, nine shots on goal, nine hits, and four blocks. I believe that's over three games. So those are some pretty good defensive numbers. Um, he'll give you some of those banger league categories. And, you know, he may start putting the puck in net as well. So a guy to look out for and a guy to pick up while he's hot right now. For sure. Sometimes it gets buried in the depth charts right in Tampa Bay, but just somebody to keep in mind, especially as a streamer for this week, the next couple of weeks, he's obviously off to a hot start. Somebody to keep an eye out for. Next one, hometown, Rasmus Sandin, only owned in 8% of leagues at this point in Yahoo!, he already has two assists, and one of those is a power play point in three games. So if you're talking about points per game, he's doing pretty good up to this point. Seven shots on goal in three games. He also has five hits and three blocks. So he is putting up a variety of categories. He's getting more playing time with the Leafs. They knew that they were going to try to give him more playing time on the power play. And as the season goes on, keep an eye out, right? Because if... For whatever reason, Morgan Riley starts to dip a little bit. Or if, you know, God forbid the Leafs decide to trade him because he's an expiring deal right now, that is a spot where Rasmus Sandin is going to step in. If you're in a keeper league, if you're in a league where you can keep guys at the end of the season, keep an eye out for Rasmus Sandin this year because if Morgan Riley decides to walk at the end of the year, go somewhere else, he is going to get the opportunity to play those top power play minutes as the quarterback, unless they sign somebody else. But for the time being, he would be a great stash in a keeper league as well. Very true. Very true. And only 8% owned. That's quite low. So probably available in most leagues. On to some goalies. I'm going to go with Elvis Merzlikens in Columbus. Uh, he is owned in 57% of Yahoo leagues. But, you know, he's off to a great start with two wins so far. Uh, 1.47 goals against average and a 9.48 save percentage. So he's stopping almost 95% of shots on goal. So that's pretty good. 
pretty damn good. And I think Columbus in general is just having a pretty hot start. I know Marcus told everybody about that value pick of Patrick Laine. That's starting to look pretty good. Um, yeah, Columbus is, I think, better than most people are giving them credit for. I think that because they lost a few players that, you know, maybe people were doubting them a little bit and they're in a hard division, but with great goaltending, solid defense, and now they have a few more guys up front as well, they're going to be a little bit better than most people are giving them credit for right now. I think also they got the new coach and, you know, he's not John Tortorella, which you know, he plays a very, he's a very hard coach on his players. So I think, you know, now with the new coach, he's probably players are a little more relaxed and they can kind of, you know, play their game and be a little more freewheeling out there. So it's showing. The second goalie I want to talk about, Marcus, is Vitek Vanacek. Uh, he is the goalie for the Washington Capitals. And when I say the goalie, this is where it kind of comes into play. There's a bit of a question here where Vanacek has started the first two games of the season for Washington. He had a phenomenal rookie campaign for them last year. He put up fantastic numbers and a great record. I believe he had over 20 wins as a rookie for Washington last year. And he actually got selected in the expansion draft by the Seattle Kraken. Then, I don't know if you heard, but the Seattle Kraken signed Philip Grubauer. And I don't think they were planning on signing Philip Grubauer, but they ended up getting him at a number that they felt comfortable with and a number of years that they felt comfortable with. So all of a sudden, Seattle had Grubauer and they already had Dreger, who they had selected from the Florida Panthers. That made Vanacek somebody a bit more expandable. And the Washington Capitals actually traded a second-round pick to Seattle to get him back on the team this year. This is clearly a guy they like. This is clearly a guy that they want to start. And I think it surprised a lot of people that Samsonov was on the bench for the first two games and Vanacek played both of those games. As far as I'm aware, and maybe by the next podcast we'll be able to correct ourselves, but up to this point I have not heard about a Samsonov injury. So as far as I'm aware, they chose to play Vanacek over Samsonov, which means he is owned currently in 65% of leagues. That is a decently high number, but not high enough if he is going to be the 1A option in Washington. This is a stacked Washington team. They are going to win a lot of games. They will be finishing near the top of that division. And I do think that if you have an opportunity to pick up Vanacek in your league, especially if you have Samsonov, it might be good to have both of them. He already has a win. He has a 1-4-4 goals against average and a 9-38 save percentage. And he played against Tampa Bay already this week in one of his two games. So the fact that his numbers are this good after playing against the Tampa Bay Lightning and the fact that he started both games for them to start out this year, that means Washington feels good about him. He's obviously started off hot. And this might be one of those things where the earlier you grab him, the better it looks as the season goes on. Sean? Why didn't you tell me this earlier? Because I'm the silly one who drafted Ilya Samsonov. And <laughs> I think Vitek Vanacek is sitting as a free agent right now. So I think I'm going to go over on Yahoo and just pick up Vitek Vanacek and drop Ilya Samsonov. Or maybe I'll keep both. Yeah, that that's a tough one, honestly, because it's just nowadays we talked about it, but there's just one A, one B seems to be the norm seems to be something that a lot of people are doing now where it's not just about having the one goalie who starts all the games for you. And that's why certain guys in fantasy 
people pick them up early in drafts because they know they're going to get enough starts out of them. So, you know, guys like Vasilevsky and guys like Hellebuck and even somebody like Robin Leonard this year went off the board pretty early in fantasy because they are the clear-cut number one starters. But then you look at guys like Merz Lincolns and Vanacek and you say, hmm, those teams have two pretty good goalies, but who's going to be the starting goalie? Well, I think through the first week of the season, it certainly looks like Vanacek is getting the starts over Samsonov. So I don't know if I would recommend dropping Samsonov quite yet, because if you do, I think somebody would pick him up. And I don't know if you want to take that risk. But if you have an opportunity to drop somebody else on the team who's maybe a little more expandable, it might be good to have both of them until one of them kind of emerges as the true 1A in that tandem. Okay, then maybe I'll just pick him up then. Keep Samsonov. If you drop Samsonov, I'll pick him up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you are forewarned. I, yeah, um, I have been warned then. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, a, I believe that is all of the players that we're going to talk about for the streaming this week in fantasy. So hopefully that gives you some information on who is hot. So when we're talking about who is hot, we talked about those players of the week. Most of those players are owned in 90% or more of leagues. So we did not identify them as streamers or guys that you could look at to maybe pick up and help your team in the short term. If you're looking maybe for guys that you want to try to trade for, those are potential options. Uh, But for the time being, we just want to recognize game. These are guys who stepped up, had good weeks, and hopefully they can continue to have good seasons. And that's why we have the streaming section separately afterwards where we tried to identify guys who are not owned in most leagues where if you're needing a little bit of extra help at a certain position, you'd be able to pick those guys up and hopefully they'll give you the boost you need to get the win in your league. Um, I think that's it, Marks. We're going to wrap it up. So thank you all for listening. This is the Face Offs and Fantasy Podcast with Marks and Sean. Hopefully we'll catch you next time um, on our future episodes. Have a good night, Marcus. Have a good night, everyone. Yes. Thank you, Sean. You have an excellent night as well. Good luck, everybody. Have a great fantasy week. So he wants to get a specific surgery where they actually fully replace one of the dicks. Uh, sorry, discs, Marcus. <laughs> 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 Replaces dick. <laughs>